Welcome, everyone, to TransUnion's inaugural Extra Credit Podcast, at least inaugural for 2024. This is the podcast where we seek to provide insights on the credit and banking market. Today, we are joined by an incredible guest, Stephanie Donaghy, one of our leading client executives. She's going to help Josh and I navigate the recent hard market performance and ask questions to us that her customers are presenting to to her. So welcome, Stephanie. Stephanie, if you could just provide a little bit of background to the audience on who you are and what you do. Yeah. Thank you, Craig. Um, an incredible guest. Thank you. That's that's very proud of that. Thank you, guys. My first well, podcast. Well, they're all incredible, Stephanie. So okay. you're, you're just lucky to be invited. <laughs> this is my inaugural <laughs> podcast. So um, thank you for inviting me. So uh, I have been with TransUnion for over 20 years. Uh, quite a while. And in my current role, I lead a team of uh, sellers in our financial services business. And we support the partnership between TransUnion and some of our largest card and banking clients in financial services vertical. Uh, in my tenure at TU, I've seen quite a few economic cycles. And um, fortunately, they're not as frequent as fashion trends. Nice. Good analogy, though. Thanks, Stephanie. Great to have you again. Um, now, Josh and I are planning on stepping through the fourth quarter of 2023 bank card highlights and implications going into uh, 2024. And our source of truth is TransUnion's quarterly consumer industry insights report for bank card. And uh, we'll probably mention uh, private label market as well. So Stephanie, why don't you kick us off? Why don't you ask a, a few yeah. burning questions? Absolutely, Craig. So before we get into the the card specific insights, can we talk a little bit about the the consumer's credit health? Sure. In general. Yeah, you know, from a macro view, the, the consumers are are fairly healthy. Consumer sentiment was up sharply in December, probably indicating that there is optimism the near-term recession that has been predicted for the last at least 12 months has been avoided or is a lot less likely. And I'd say consumers' recognitions that interest rates may be coming down soon. You know, underpinning that is, you know, we've had continued job strength, continued a run of positive monthly job growth from the depth of the recession. recession. Uh, as of December, uh, unemployment was 3.7%. I think it comes out, you know, in a few days. So we'll see what it is uh, for January. We've also had real wage growth since May. So pretty positive. However, inflation is still elevated and that clearly does have impact or adds to consumers' individual household stress. And we see it as a primary driver of balance growth uh, across the wallet. Great. Thank you, Craig. Um, so Josh, what are the key points in the, the bank card market story for the fourth quarter? Yeah, Stephanie, I think there, there are three things that I would kind of hone in on happening with bank card. And I'm sure we'll, we'll unpack these as we go a little bit. But one, looking at originations, and we look at that one quarter in arrears. So the, the latest data that we have is for third quarter of 2023. Um, it, Third quarter of 2023, we were back at 2021 levels. So it came down a bit relative to the year before. Uh, 
that's that's certainly getting a lot of attention as a, as an industry. But I think there there are a couple things to to keep in mind under that. A um, that was driven by a much smaller number of non prime cards being originated. So Stephanie, you know, with with some of your customers, for example, um, if you're looking at prime and above or super prime, the originations for super prime were up seven percent still relative to last year. So that's still a really competitive market. Uh, so let's just you know, put the originations into context. We originated uh, 20.1 million cards in the third quarter of 23, which was down a bit from the prior year. But that's still up, um, you know, over 18.7, say, in 2019. So still a competitive market on the originations front. Second point, balances have surged. For the first time ever, we're over a trillion dollars in credit card balances. Uh, the average balance per consumer at $6,300, which which breaks a, a long record. And consumers have more cards in their wallet than they've ever had before with uh, almost three cards per consumer. And again, I think that that um, underscores the point that this is still a really competitive market as, as, con as customers are competing for those balances. The last point here, uh, third one is charge-offs are up. Uh, we've talked a lot about that internally, certainly. Uh, 36 million bank cards charged off in the third quarter, excuse me, in the fourth quarter of, of 23, uh, representing $104 billion in balances. So uh, definitely something that a lot of people are paying attention to. Definitely. Thank you, Josh. Craig, how much are people spending and what's happening to the balances? Yeah, thanks for uh, double clicking on that, uh, Stephanie, because it's quite an interesting story. Total balance have in increased significantly year over year, up 13% and up 5% quarter over quarter to $105 trillion, which is an all-time high. So balances at the end of the year, you know, clearly something to look at. What's interesting is if you look at the different uh, risk sectors or segments, the balances in all segments increased, but subprime did have the highest growth rate. If you look at average balance per account, it is increased, but it's well below the all-time high that we had during the, the Great Recession. And spikes like that in average balances at the extremes probably tell a, a sign of consumer stress like it was in the Great Recession. Maybe not so much today because it's not really a spike, but it is, uh, you know, we've continued to have year-over-year, quarter-over-quarter growth. Uh, what's interesting, if you, you look at the number of cards in the wallet, if you, you layer that in, the average balance in the wallet, not just on per account or per card, but if you add all those cards together in the wallet, it is at an all-time high of 6.3 thousand per consumer. So what are the utilization trends? And what does this tell us about consumer stress? Yeah, it's interesting when you take a look at utilization, because you can make the argument that consumers manage their open-to-buy or their utilization. So this tends to move slowly year over year. And to go back by managing open-to-buy or utilization, what I mean there is when their, their trade lines increase, their spend does increase, but their overall utilization doesn't move that much quarter over quarter or year over year. However, starting really at the end of 2022, utilization has ticked up by a few percentage points, which doesn't sound like much, but that's tens of billions of dollars in balance. 
And we're ultimately back to pre-pandemic levels from a utilization perspective. Now, the uptick in utilization is greater in the higher risk segments, which is interesting. They have higher utilization in the first place, which that does translate, though, because it's in the higher risk segments, translates into more revolving balance. So that's just another indicator of additional uh, consumer risk. Thanks, Craig. Josh, so who's getting all of these new cards? Um, not our parents. So... <laughs> Um, we'll talk about generational stuff here in a second. Just a few things. So we we talked about the 7% decline year on year overall at the beginning. Um, that's interesting because it broke a seasonal trend that we've seen for 10 years. But for the last 10 years, every third quarter, we put more plastic out in the market than we do in second quarter. That didn't happen in 2023. Uh, we think that's interesting. Why is that? Well, one is there was a 20% year-over-year decline in cards issued to non-prime consumers. That's a that's a big number. So that was really underlying a lot of that decline. Uh, and a number of environmental factors at play from balance sheet challenges our customers were having as consumers were chasing yield to consumer demand for credit cards. Craig, you talked about some of the consumer optimism we see right now. It's a little different in third quarter and fourth quarter last year. People are a little more optimistic now. Uh, so it was both a, a supply and demand issue. Um, but Steph, your, your question is who's getting the cards, not how many went out there. So on that front, um, the the Gen Z and millennial consumers, they're 36% of balances now, which is up 68% in just five years. So five years, the amount of money that that Millennials and Gen Z folks are putting on credit cards is up almost 70%. Uh, millennials have higher balances than boomers. Gen Z have more than the silent generation, which is, uh, I think, super interesting. Um, and beyond interesting, looking at the, the new account numbers, Gen Z's accounted for almost 20% of new accounts in the third quarter of 23. Um, that's up 10% over what it was just a year ago. So I think that the implication here, um, if you have a risk strategy that's that does really well for super prime consumers only 12 percent of gen z consumers are super prime uh, if you have an application experience that's not great or not what a younger consumer wants you're missing out um you know consumers have more cards than they have had in their wallet in the past so again competition is higher and stephanie you and i um we've talked about your own family and, and young adults and how they, you know, making decisions on credit cards and who's offering credit cards. And you, you see those dynamics at play. Um, but certainly one of the drivers is, is growth and younger folks acquiring cards and building balances. Yes. Young adults are eager to acquire new cards. They and sure I do remember are. the millennials have um, come a long way because it wasn't too long ago where they were very cautious about credit, right? They were very, mm -hmm cash or debit card plastic in that form versus actual credit. Not to sound too pessimistic, but you think back to the Occupy Wall Street days and the right after the housing uh, crisis, and we were all in the industry then, and that was kind of the mantra, right? The folks are going to live without credit. Credit was bad. And um, again, now a lot of the people um, who were, were kind of of age then are a little older, and you certainly do see uh, big they've fallen into very traditional patterns of credit usage. So um, with the slight decline, right? What, 7% you, you said year over year. Um, what, do we have any insights or perspective on what's driving that decline? So uh, I know that 
you know, being in a space and talking to clients, we have clients who are tightening their their risk criteria, right? So they're not letting as many cards out. Um, there's also an accessibility um, challenge with some of the, um, I guess, newer card entrants in the marketplace. Or is it just flat out market saturation and customer or consumer fatigue? So let me move from talking about bank card and just address private label briefly. If we look at that, you know, consumers with access continue to, to shrink. So it's the total number of private label cards or retail cards that are that are out there, as well as from an origination standpoint. Our view that has less to do with the value of cards, but it's really a struggle of some of the larger retailers or retail portfolios over uh, the last four years that really sort of right before the pandemic until now. However, the balances have not only begun to rebound from the recent lows, uh, they're at close, if not an all-time high, close to an all-time high. And it's really driven by spending at the top of this risk spectrum and the bottom. So the least risky and the more risky. So the private label market from a balance and usage pers perspective is healthy even though um, access to credit is suppressed from recent years. Thanks, Greg. So on the back end, how's consumer performance? Stephanie, that's an area everyone is focused and, and understandably. Uh, I do want to brag a bit here uh, and not, not about any of us, but uh, TransUnion. So every year, in the fourth quarter, we put out a forecast to say what we think the year ahead is going to look like. And Stephanie, I think you've, you've actually walked through the 2024 forecast with a couple of your customers recently. Uh, when we did it in late 2022, uh, we said we thought we would end the year at 2.59% of cards being uh, 90 days or more delinquent. And uh, the folks, Otsko and, and Devash, that, that work with us to put that together, we were dead on. So a little shout out to them for for nailing that one. Are they going to Vegas for the Super Bowl? Well, but Otsko <laughs> lives in Las Vegas. So I don't know whether there's a bookmaker that takes takes bets on like 90-day-plus delinquency rates. But if there is, she should, uh, I should send her some money to throw down with her forecast. Yeah. But no, very impressive. And, and certainly uh, encourage anyone to reach out to us that, that wants to see that that hasn't yet. But uh, but that's where we ended the year. We ended the year uh, with the 90-day delinquency rate at 2.59%, which is the highest it's been in 10 years. Uh, and and that that's a very kind of headline-grabbing statistic when you look at the growth of the delinquency rate, when you look at what's happening in charge-off. And Stephanie, you, Craig, me, one of the, the interesting things working at a place like TransUnion is you sit on top of all these data. And so you're able to kind of take multiple looks at the data. And certainly one shows that charge-offs and 90-day delinquency certainly is is increasing. Um, you also look a year back, a couple of years back or more at the number of cards that were being added to the system and the non-prime cards that were being added to the system. And so when you control some of the delinquency rates or, or the count of charge-off for the numbers of cards going in the system, it's pretty flat. So it kind of, I think it, it depends on um, why you're asking or, or what you're trying to control for. But yeah, we we are seeing the delinquency rate, uh, the highest it's been for 10 years and, and charge-offs are up as well, which is, is certainly something people are thinking about. So gentlemen, 
I hear um, from my clients that fraud uh, is a concern and it's an area of focus and it has been for you know the past at least 12 months, if not farther back. Um, with the rising delinquency, do we have a gauge on delinquency trends when we look at months on book? Yes, definitely. You know, that's a, it's a great question. And um, the early month on book charge off is is absolutely one thing that we've seen increase, uh, but not the only behavior that's indicative of fraud. So so three things that are, are uh, interesting here and that we're actually doing some research on right now. First, the balance is on bust out behavior, bust out balances. Um, increased 62% in nine months. And bust out, a lot of people listening to this probably know for, for those where that's an unfamiliar term, it's a rapid building up of, of a balance that, that typically leads to delinquency or charge off. Um, that went up 62% in nine months. 60% um, of those balances are cards that are over two years old, which I think is interesting stepping to your question on months on book, early months on book, is it a challenge? It is. Um, but 60% of, of those bust out balances are on pretty seasoned cards. And so that says to me that that uh, the issuers have an opportunity to, you know, whether it's through account management routines or something, even on seasoned cards to make sure that they're uh, preventing some of that activity. Now, your question was on, on early default, early pay default. Um, that's a subset of those bust out cards. The losses, charge off losses that we saw from... Um, early defaults was up 100% in second quarter of 23 versus 2019. And so that that absolutely, at least to me, says, hey, there's some kind of deficiency in the, the anti-fraud controls that, that our customers have that's allowing those to come in uh, and to increase that rapidly. We see um, some tightening in account management strategies, specifically, you know, trying to identify those bust outs. On early yeah. stuff, seven a year later, all of it in the entire portfolio yeah. and even trying to catch them on the front end before they're even issued mm -hmm. the cards are even issued mm -hmm. yeah no it's well and and that's the i mean you think about and these are the people that you talk to every day stephanie but if you're a risk executive at that it doesn't matter how big the the bank um issuing credit cards and you're looking at your charge up numbers going up you're looking at your delinquency numbers going up and you're getting all that pressure one of the the things I'd be pounding my fist on the table is it's like, well, the, you know, fraud's a big and growing piece of this. Get this out of here because I can't control for that. Um, you know, I can I can own the risk policies, but but you're not doing me any favors upstream. Yeah, it's definitely a, a, a top priority across a lot of the issuers. Yeah, and we're seeing we're seeing uh, synthetic come back too. So. We've had tremendous increases in both the applications as well as the number of synthetic identities that that cards are being issued to, which is another sign that uh, yeah we're doing fairly well as an industry controlling for that at that time of application, but there's still too many getting through. So we were talking about all the the new cards and the growth in the card space. Uh, there's a significant portion is coming from the you know the. A more risky segment, so near prime and below, uh, and many of those issuers account for for delinquencies, and they're expected. Uh, does that make the rise in delinquencies less of a concern across the board? Yeah, that's a great question, Stephanie. So, so as you would expect, the 
the delinquencies are going up faster in the higher risk credit tiers. But a couple things that um, that might interest people to to know a little more about. One, the if we look at the total charge offs that happened this last quarter, and you look at the credit scores of those people who charged off two years earlier before the charge off event, what do those people look like? You know, two years before the, uh, when they before they charged off, um, there's been a 15% increase in people who were prime and above who went to charge off. So that that to me says there are issuers out there um, who issue cards to prime and above people who have this challenge now of people with non-prime, you know, near prime, subprime credit scores hanging out in their portfolio, and and they've got a piece of this issue, these rising delinquencies, rising rising charge-offs that they have to manage. So, um, yeah, is is it something that you can ignore uh, if you're a prime and above issuer? Absolutely not. Um, is it as big of a challenge on a relative basis as, as someone uh, who's working in the non-prime space? No. Um, but another issue I think that, that I'll, I'll wrap with here on this question you asked is if you look at the roll rates in collections, so an account's gone delinquent, now I'm collecting on it, the roll rate um, is measuring you know, how many go from 30 days past due to 60 or from 60 to 90 or whatever and progress to the next stage. The roll rate has has crept up steadily um, from, call it the, the high 60s, um, five years ago, 60% of, of people who were in collections were rolling forward to the next stage to into the 70s now. You know, consumers, as, as Craig, you talked to, like are in a pretty good position economically. So we certainly think that part of that is it's been a minute since collections are really a priority for many of our customers. Um, Craig, Stephanie, me, we have all changed the way that we interact with people uh, on our phones, what our preferences are. And so if you haven't invested in some of those strategies around collections, I think you're seeing that in the the roll rates now and the people that are going from 30 to 60 to 90 and and so on. Um, so both of those things that that um, we're having a lot of conversations on. Something you mentioned made me think of a study that we presented at last year's Financial Services Summit. Mm -hmm. And it was um, just exactly what you said, where there are prime consumers who are acting more like near prime, right? Mm -hmm. I think this or like it was like a 30 point score separation. Um, has that leveled out or do we have plans to dig out, dig the analysis up and see if that's shifting back towards nor more normal characterization? I think that's a question we get asked a lot. Kind of when are we, when are scores going to be back to where they were or, or when are we going to have the, you know, we'll, we'll have known that we fully hit the reset. You know, a couple things to to keep in mind there. One, way before COVID, if you look at the average credit score, it was on an upward trajectory, and it's been that way for for quite a while. Um, now, all the the liquidity and government stimulus and all that stuff hit, and and that upward trajectory, you know, bent way left and went up a lot quicker. But scores have always been kind of on an upward um, trail. Craig, you mentioned. Um, the both the average lines being up and the number of cards people have in their wallets being up. Well, guess what happens when, when I have when I have one more card than I used to, and 
every single card has a higher line, right? I'm still spending maybe the same that I always spent, but all of a sudden my utilization looks a lot better. And utilization plays into a credit score calculation. So I'm I'm doing the same, I'm spending the same amount I've always spent, but I've got an extra card in my wallet and all those cards have a bigger line. My credit score has gone up. So yeah, I, I say all that, Stephanie, to, to uh, not avoid giving a straight answer as much as to say, you know, I like, think the answer is a little more um nuanced it's not black and white. Like, yeah, yeah exactly we're not going to hit it you know be able to hit the all clear alarm at any point yeah hey, hey josh you know you started getting into a little more detail credit lines but also score migration it just makes me think one area that we haven't touched on that we you know often touch on when we we're sharing our perspective with customers is credit lines at least we haven't gone into more detail there so just let's let me go through some of the the high level uh, metrics there. Now, I will say credit lines are difficult to uh, view or understand year over year because of things like score migration, because of you know credit line increases and credit line decreases that at the macro level are hard to hard to tease out. But if overall, if you look at uh, credit lines, the credit lines that are available to consumers have gone up for all risk segments. Now, you can argue score migration and have that impacted subprime. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, or we can go into more detail on that in a, at another time. However, year over year, the new accounts, credit lines are down significantly in, in some of the segments over, over 10%. So that's where we see uh, tightening and perhaps less marketing and less competition uh, for some of those cards. Now, it will be interesting in this market to see how total lines and new account lines, how they fare over the course of the year. It might be an indicator, I want to say early because it is a bit of a lag, an indicator of uh, collectively how how issuers view the economic environment. And Stephanie, you've got You've got some of our most analytically capable customers, um, and so you you help them do this work. You see them do this work, but think about some of the the things you just went through, Craig. So average credit lines are up. Um, average number of cards per consumer is up. We're seeing bust-out activity happen more and more. Um, one thing we haven't seen return to the system are credit line decreases uh, to the extent that they've happened historically or uh, proactive closing of dormant accounts uh, from the industry overall. Certain issuers are doing that. But that's that's certainly a question I would ask myself if I had concerns about the risk environment, if I had concerns about uh, you know consumers having access to too much credit, uh, do I want to be the last good card in somebody's wallet? Just thinking about, um, you know, the the energy around the consumer experience, and Josh and I have talked about this quite a bit. So, you know, um, my I have an 18 year old, and she went to a branch to open up her first checking account, and then a couple of years later, she opened up a high yield savings online, and she's like, "Oh my gosh, the experience was so different." So there's so much focus on this experience, and consumers are making that judgment, but there's also you know, an increase in fraud and, you know, you got to keep the bad guys out. So what's that balance, right? Like that's, that's the hot topic 
in our client conversations now. That and then, you know, where am I going to market to my next client? What channels are do I need to go into? So Stephanie, one one thing we we love to have that conversation with customers and talk about what we can do and talk about the processes and things, but but you you absolutely hit on for for many of our customers, um, as you know firsthand what they deal with. But one of the things that that I think pains us um, is you see from time to time someone where they, they you know what I'm going to do I'm going to invest a ton of money in some kind of digital marketing capability to go after the millennials to go after the Gen Z folks, um, and then they get to my application experience and it's terrible, or yeah, I build this incredible application experience, but nobody knows about it. Or, um, yeah, I, I want to have this Gen Z strategy, but oh my God, I'm not going to approve anyone for a car unless they have a risk score of 800. Um, and, and so, yeah, I don't know what the answer is. Uh, it, it, cookie cutter answer, right? It's very specific, I think, to the, the customers. That's one of the reasons I like working with you, the, the way you help people think through this. But how do you kind of keep all those things in balance um, as you pursue it? We could talk about it for days. Yeah. Hey, Stephanie, as we before we close here, a uh, question for you. You've, you've been asking Craig and me from a customer's perspective, things that they ask you about. Um, you're in there day in, day out again with, with some of the executive teams and some of the more, um, not more, the most sophisticated retail banks in the country. Um, what do you like about that? I mean, what do you, what do you enjoy kind of? representing TransUnion, representing our data, our insights in those conversations? Very personal question, Josh, but I love it. And I I love uh, our strategy sessions that we have with our clients, not where we're talking specific prod, prod, excuse me, solutions or products. Even before we get to that point, we don't even know how to solve, but what are some of the challenges that they're seeing, like really getting into the details and the challenges are so complex. We talked about the balance between the consumer experience and keeping the bad guys out, right? Like, mm -hmm. how do you orchestrate that in a meaningful way? And as the financial institutions get larger, they're more complex. And then you've got the compliance lens, you've got the, you know, the consumer privacy lens. It's just, it's, it's all the moving pieces and bringing things together to help solve the problem is, it's very rewarding. Um, it's challenging. It takes a long time to get there. Uh, but when it's there and you see the, the benefits and the value that the customers are seeing, that's my favorite part about my role that and developing my, my sellers. Wow. Great answer, Stephanie, way to conclude, uh, the podcast for us, much appreciative of your attending the podcast and representing client views as we walk through. Uh, the results and our interpretation of recent market performance. So thanks again. And I think we can conclude this session of TransUnion's Extra Credit Podcast. 